It's treacherous out there. And so we have got all these city priorities related to we're going to drive less, Melody. We're mm-hmm. going to get our vehicle miles traveled down. We're going to build a dense pedestrianized city, which is a phrase I like to use all the time. I'm supportive of these things, as everyone knows. But your dense pedestrianized city has to be 365 days a year. Otherwise, you're saying only people with vehicles can get around safely in the wintertime. You have to make it so people who buy into your dense pedestrianized vision of the future, which I, I know is not our public works director, so in fairness to her, she doesn't believe in the dense pedestrianized city uh, situation based on her actions. Ooh, and, snap. Uh, yeah, take that, Margaret Anderson Kelleher. This is a real, real, real thing. Real, 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 real thing. None of you have the balls to stop. Stop this. Today. We're in the wedge neighborhood right now, 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 right now. Feminist Kill Killjoy's PhD, and we ran it for years. We had like almost three thousand listeners, probably more than that. Oh, was it a national podcast or a neighborhood-based podcast like this one? It was um coastal because I was on the Midwest coast, and then Rachel was on the East Coast in Boston. That's a that's a sizable audience. Thank you. I know it's not as many as y- your podcast, but we allegedly, allegedly, nobody knows. Nobody knows. Nobody's seen the numbers. It's proprietary. It, when he says it's pro- proprietary, it truly is because I even asked Jason Garcia a few times. I was like, "What are the numbers?" They have no idea, and they're like a major. Yeah. They're your co-anchor at this point, so um, nobody. You're like Netflix. Nobody knows. The thing about podcasts, I heard, I got inside info from somebody about another local podcast about how terrible the the listen numbers were, and they just stopped doing it, and that made me feel better about my numbers. I'm not going to say what the numbers involved are, yeah. but like... If they were going to quit because of those numbers... Wait, explain. Because it was a bigger, it was a bigger outlet, mm-hmm. and so you think, and it was like a larger geographic base Mm -hmm. so it's like wow if they had those numbers i'm not doing so bad that's great i mean it it wasn't that i'm not trying to like puff myself up as this is super impressive no i'm I'm legit happy for you though this is a difficult thing to 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 build uh, an audience especially when you're not a very talented podcast host i'm I'm trying to be a a big fish in a small pond i think that's that's my uh, approach here and I think that approach is why you have the listeners that you do, because I think a lot of, po- if I could, if I may, thank you. Uh, the podcast world has gotten very professionalized and everybody sounds just perfect, you know, and there's all these ways that you could take this podcast and make it sound more perfect. But mm-hmm. I think it's all of the, like the nuances of like mistakes and just bloopers and stuff that you leave in. I think that's why people really like it. It's true. We could try. We could try to make this a good podcast, but then that would make it worse. Yeah, and on, is what you're saying. Yeah, and honestly, I don't know how many people know this. If I've said this publicly, but John knows. I used to follow Wedge Live when I was a media professor at a community college, and I would use Wedge Live as an example of community journalism. And I was a huge, huge fan, and also just used it in my career. And I told other students about it because I think it's. Really, it's a great example of how, like, if you just care about something, you can actually do journalism around that. It's it's a lot of work, but it is possible. Because when I went to journalism school way back in the day, early 2000s, all I would see are these, like, the people from the big daily. So this, the version of the Star Tribune, our Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, right? And those were the people that were teaching me. So I didn't know that this kind of journalism was possible, um, even on the early internet days, it would have been possible. I just didn't see it. So all that to say, um, welcome to the Wedge Life Podcast. Yeah, welcome to the Wedge Life Podcast. I'm your host, John Edwards, and my guest 
for this episode is Melody Hoffman from SouthwestVoices.News. Thank you. Should we do your theme song? Oh, Monthly with Melody. No. Oh, wait, wait. Oh, you play it. Monthly with Melody. Where I share all the news for you and me. Monthly with Melody. Let's get down to it. John and me. Three, two, one, let's go. Wow, that's such a banger every time I hear it. <laughs> yeah, and you did it in one take, unprepared. So... You didn't even know what the melody was going to be. It's so bad. I love it. Uh, my brother, John, who lives in Minneapolis, makes stupid songs like that for fun. So it oh, kind of yeah. runs in the family, not to brag, mm. but... Okay, so uh, we always do the farmers market report. I think so. Yeah, I was just gonna do you have that ready. Um, yeah, I was just gonna pull up my notes here. Um, so it is winter uh, farmers market time, which means no, no actual produce. Keep that in mind. Oh, I shouldn't say. Sorry, let me clarify. At the Minneapolis farmers market, the winter side, they always have fresh produce. That's important. I, I want to clarify that. But then on the southwest side, there are at least there's at least one still rocking, but it's not they're going to call it a farmer's market, but it's more like vendors. And so that is the Lindale Farmer's Market, and it's at Bachman's down in southwest. My cats are fighting right now. Hey, you guys, excuse me. I'm trying to record a really important podcast. Daniel, stop. Excuse me. Um, the Bachman's, uh, the Lindale's farmer, farmer's market that's at Bachman's, and that is December 10th. Did that day already happen? No, but it will have already <laughs> happened by the time people hear this. Okay, then the next one, the next one that's coming up is going to be after the holidays, and that's going to be on Saturday, January 14th. And then there's also the uh, two other ones in the winter at Lindale Farmer's Market, February 4th and March 11th. Those are both Saturdays. And John, I have to tell you that these are outside markets, so you need to bundle up. You can enjoy- I'm always bundled. I'm always bundled. You are good. Yeah, you're, you're a pedestrian, so you're always good for the weather. Um, you can enjoy music and fresh, ready-to-enjoy food and beverage and stock up on produce, sweet treats, crafts, and gifts from local farmers, bakers, and artisans. Wow, you say that once. <clears throat> uh, it's presented by the Kingfield Farmer's Market, Fulton Farmer's Market, Nokomis Farmer's Market, and which is the umbrella of neighborhood roots. I should have maybe gone with that one first. But there's an umbrella organization called Neighborhood Roots, and they kind of manage and help with all the farmer's markets that I just listed. Mm. And that's the farmer's market news with I, on Monthly with Melody. I believe that's the first time we've su successfully pulled that one off. Yeah, thanks. Third time's a charm. It's been a while since we've done a Monthly with Melody. It's not living up to the, to the headline. It's okay. Keeps them on their toes. So uh, one idea I had was, you know how uh, internet uh, news talk shows uh, will do this thing where they pull up an article and then they have uh, comments about it, like smart ass comments about it, half informed. I love this yeah. idea. And so uh, I just did this tweet. I read it in the Star Tribune about the New Hope. Here, here's the headline I okay. gave it. New Hope contemplates combining the jobs of police chief and city manager, which would make them the first Minnesota city to adopt a strong police chief form of government. Have you heard about that, Melody? No, you just tweeted that out. <clears throat> I did. I was listening. Yeah. Let me let me uh, pull up my old Twitter, ye old Twitter, and you're probably my top search. Like when I go to Twitter and I search for something, you are mm -hmm. like I think my always my it's always your, people are gonna like snoop on my Twitter account. That's high praise. You know who my top uh, result would be? Mm. And it's not It's not going to be reciprocal. I'm not going to say it's you, Melody. No, no, no. It's going to be someone I know. Else. My guess would be either the mayor's Twitter account or the Daily no. Taylor. No. What is, what is the mayor tweet that I need to know? Well, Nothing. Because it's, it's content for you. I don't know. No, not really. Josh Martin. I appreciate oh, Josh Martin. That makes a lot of sense, actually. As a, I, like, he's like... The shadow city clerk, I think. That's the way I've come to think of Josh Martin. Shadow city clerk. City clerk in exile, maybe? Yeah. 
Oh, I just really appreciate that everything that he says is accurate. Like he's never wrong. And that amazes me. Is he ever wrong? Do you ever catch him in a wrongness? That's an official word. Nobody's good enough to catch him being wrong. I'm sure he's been wrong. But, uh... Oh, here it is. Sorry. I was killing time. New Hope contemplates combining jobs of police chief and city manager. That's what you just said. Mm-hmm. It's a weird story. I don't know if I have anything to add. What's to a city manager? Seems like man- a bad idea. What's a, so c- a city manager is like when a city... Like a smaller city that doesn't really have has part-time council members and okay it's kind of like a mayor figure but it's hired by the city council basically do they have a mayor too or no it's basically the exact when the city when a city smaller city has an executive figure and doesn't really have a strongish mayor like the day-to-day affairs of the executive branch are run by the city manager though that city manager like serves at the pleasure of the city council basically that's a rough outline of what that is that last part sounded naughty but we'll just ignore that um at the pleasure if i may Mm -hmm. um i don't think it's ever a good idea for the police chief to do more than be a police chief so it seems like that's a lot to handle but i could be biased because of being in a big city but i feel like that's a good that's an that's a good enough job i think you have a lot to do there yeah it seems like uh, conflicts of interest could arise well absolutely because you're depending on where your loyalties are if you think of yourself as police chief first maybe you shortchange uh attention or priorities given to other departments i don't know absolutely i also just feel like I, as not being in a, I would never grew up in a rural area. I've never been in a, I haven't lived in a small town, so I don't know like what it's, what it's like. Like I'm so it's hard for me to have a strong opinion on it because I feel ill-equipped to make an opinion based on my experience. I feel like I regret doing this segment where we comment (laughs) on a random news item from from New Hope. I just feel like... I don't know. It's just a weird story that I happen to see. What do you think is weird about it? That they're talking about a strong police chief when we're talking about a strong mayor? just seems so... Yeah, it's the joke, (laughs) Mm -hmm. which I should admit I stole from a private comment Josh Martin sent me. I stole the joke. So... And what else was I going to say? Why? You know, we talk a lot about government structure. It just seems like obviously a bad idea. Let your police chief be the police chief and let your city's executive figure be someone else who does that as their... We can stop talking about New Hope. We can move on. We should talk about a a story right here in the Wedge, that building that burned down at 24th and Lindell, which SouthwestVoices.News was on the, the cutting edge uh, of uh, bringing that story to light with that deeply reported piece. Uh, and also, the first first time I had heard about this landlord was uh, Taylor Darlene, mm-hmm. who is a resident of Loring Park, where they have... But this landlord has another problem building that had been catching fire several times in back in September. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, Melody, do you want to give tribute to the author of that uh, incredibly well-reported southwestvoices.news Yeah, story. yeah. So the reporter is Yao Hong Pan, and they, I mean, back in September, probably, if not earlier, or whenever that fire happened, obviously, and Taylor's tweets went out, everybody started talking about that landlord. And so they, I mean, they researched the heck out of that landlord, uh, see David George, and they tried to contact that landlord in all different ways, including writing them letters, um, no responses, which is unfortunate because in the journalism world, right, when you have some bad news to share about somebody, we always like to check in with that person and talk with them and let them share their their perspective. Um, but uh, Zio Hong found nothing but just really bad information about this landlord, lots of violations. Um, obviously, there was that fire, right, that happened uh, on o- the Oak Grove property in Loring Park, where Taylor lives. 
Prob- does do people know where she li- she lives? Maybe I shouldn't say where people live. I think everyone knows Taylor is the Duchess, Duchess of Loring Duchess of Loring Park. I just had a so. moment because you know. You're not revealing anything. That okay. Doesn't know. Well, some people don't like her on the internet, so I just got to watch out. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, <clears throat> I think, but what I want to highlight about that, though, is that this very well researched article came out in October. Um, we had contacted the city about the story. The city knew, um, council member Shugtai knew. I mean, uh, everybody in, you could access the story, it was well publicized. People shared it, it was out there. Lots of information, basically all the research done for everybody right in front of them, right? And um, <clears throat> and so then the the narrative is then okay, now another building is on fire, and this one was much more severe. It looks like because it's like it's a total <clears throat> loss. The building is destroyed. Yeah. It could have spread to n- nearby buildings. Lives were put at risk for this thing we had known about for months, as you say. Yeah. And you could say, well, maybe the city's policies are not adequate to what this problem is, mm-hmm. in which case we need to change our policies, I was, maybe. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about that. I don't know if the maybe the legal system is not adequate to this problem, because what do you do when some landlord who may not be mentally fit to to manage his properties and the proper, the portfolio is so large, and the buildings are so large... Uh, squatters take up residence, start fires to help keep themselves warm on an extremely cold night, and the building burns down and puts neighbors at risk. Uh, this landlord has let his properties deteriorate to to that state. Does the legal system have a remedy to say, hey, we can take your properties now because you're not up to this job anymore? That's a great point. And I think it was Jason Garcia said in a follow-up piece that we published this morning that they were wondering if there was like some kind of imminent domain kind of like emergency declaration that the city could pull to your legal point um how this is just kind of out of the ordinary like obviously i think that one of the city's messages is that like the landlords in our city have a lot of rights and we can't just go in there and start messing with their stuff and i think we would all agree with that general premise but the issue is that what happens in these like extraordinary circumstances right. that are if we're going to continue not addressing the homelessness crisis in our city at a much more urgent pace this is just going to keep happening like this like what was really eerie about the story that we published this morning was that, and I saw this with my own eyes, somebody emailed us and tweeted at us and DM'd us very urgently and was like, I'm really worried about 2312. I live next door to 2312. Yeah, I got an email like that too. Okay. Yeah. Like, so the point is that like tenants were doing their, they were reaching out to the media. Like people don't reach out to the media about stuff very often. Right. Um, with a dire concern. Um, they knew that this was going to happen. Like the, what does that mean, right? That like all the the pieces were out there. This is going to happen again. People were telling us exactly what building it was going to happen. And there's nothing we could, the city can do. Like, I'm not in government, but that just seems like to your point, we need to, at, we need to fix something then. Like we need to review our policies. Um, I'm speaking way out of my element, but as an, That's okay. you know, an outsider looking into this issue, it's like, y'all are the experts. Like, there's nothing. Yeah. And no communication about it either is, except for what Mayor Fry said, which wasn't all that, there wasn't really much content to it. Yeah, it was basically, this is on the landlord, which is true to mm-hmm. an extent. But also we, if somebody is up to no good and we all see it coming months ahead of time and neighbors are predicting there's going to be a fire and I live next door and I don't want that to be the case back in September. Then I think we failed in addressing a very obvious thing that happened. Another part of the story is this that was covered in Southwest that Southwest voices dot news article is that this is this sir, this building served as affordable housing, uh, not, not in a like legal sense where it was required to be affordable housing, but just, where the rents happened to be, this is an older building, rents were lower, and the people who lived there lived there because it was affordable to them, and they were, like, 
as unfortunate as some of the conditions were, they were grateful to have the housing. That was the gist of what I took from that story. And now it's it's gone, I think. I think mm-hmm. they're going to have to tear this building down. I haven't heard that. I'm just assuming by the extent of the damage that the building will be torn down. Oh. Maybe I shouldn't assume that. No, I would just like to insert a fact. Uh, okay. They do have a demolition date. It's an emergency demolition date that the city issued, and it starts on Friday. But on Friday, what they're doing is... Uh, actually, this hasn't this part hasn't been published yet, So, but it'll be old news by the time this comes out. Anyways... By the time this comes out, the building should be down down um, because oh, really? they're disconnecting the stuff. They're disconnecting all the wires tomorrow, and then starting next week, they're they're taking it all down. Emergency, yeah. And so we will have lost an entire building Huge. full of affordable housing. If you all haven't been, I mean, if you haven't had the ability to like walk around the building like I did, it is very big. There was a lot of units in there, and had that those properties been handled quick, like in a more urgent fashion, those could have been, I mean, this, the, the deterioration of the inside was shown in some photos that have been shared, like passed around online, but still like those could have been, hopefully those could have been rehabbed. Right. And if they couldn't have been rehabbed, then again, we need to go back to like, how can we keep this from happening in the future? If a building's going to be vacant, you know, like the, Property on the 2600 block of Pillsbury, excuse me, <clears throat> um, that the landlord, I know, I've been in contact with the landlord next door to it. That building's been vacant, he said, for 20 years, like no activity. Which building? The one on twenty the 2600 block of Pillsbury. Also a C. David George building. Yes. And the landlord next door got in touch with uh, the city and the media because tenants were seeing people go into the back of that building. And so he was like, hello. Um, And this is a couple days after the fire. And so I went down there that day and the window was indeed open with a dumpster um, underneath it and, uh, and like had not been fixed. So like, again, with the urgency, like I'm not sure where, um, where the buck stops, I guess, is the saying, but uh, there seems to be a lack of urgency that we're at least seeing publicly. And so if there's an explanation for it, the city should definitely come out or through a council member, right? Like send out an email and let us know what's going on. But right now, the visual looks like they're not doing much. How do you, yeah. does that sound, is that like a, check my reality here, John. Does it also feel? I feel like we're we're in agreement. Okay. I also do want to go back and really stress how this fire is also like a representation of the people who are going through homelessness in our city right now, because there's a lot of people that don't have shelter. Um, And so this one theory is that it's people were using that space to stay warm. Um, Definitely, you know, we see this a lot with vacant buildings. and that is a result of people not having housing. So I wanted to highlight that too, because there's been a lot of focus on the landlord and the city's response, but it's also about homelessness. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if I'm prepared to like formulate this uh, as an idea and articulate it here right now, but we talk a lot about the police budget and the mayor and the chief uh, went on TV to like get people afraid of a half percent cut to a budget that's a large increase over last year's a budget that the police weren't even capable of spending uh and i don't know like a building burning down because people are out there desperate for housing and they broke in and are living in it to stay warm that's a public safety failure that could maybe be fixed with money and not not with no matter where you stand on like are we understaffed in our police department should we fund our police department with more or less money like i don't think uh, another adding more cops to mpd fixes the problem of homelessness which is clearly based on this incident a public safety problem so I don't know if I said that. 
uh, in a way that's understandable. Absolutely. There's money that is available or there's money in the city that can be used on addressing housing. Especially in a situation where the fear mongering about police funding from the mayor and his new chief, about a half percent cut, that wouldn't cost us any officers at all because the problem with MPD and staffing is not related to money. They have had more money than they can spend. It's because nobody wants to come and work for MPD. And you can debate what the reasons are for that. Maybe it's because it's a disaster of a, pl- a workplace and no one wants to be involved with it. Maybe it's that. Maybe if you hadn't let, if uh, generations of city leaders hadn't let this department deteriorate to a, a basket case uh, situation where nobody wants to work, at least nobody wants to like do a good job wants to work. I don't know. I'm rambling. No, I think. Um, have you done a Have you done a podcast on like the county and city's response to homelessness? No, that would be a free show idea. It would be cool to get somebody from like Hennepin County has been doing a lot of work. I don't want to. They've been in my reporting or like as I track all these budgets and stuff, they're putting a ton of um, resources into it. And I think it would just be good. Like, I think we all have a lot of questions um, or for those of us who have not gone through homelessness or don't work in um, that area of public service, like people just have a lot of questions um, and we don't get a lot of answers from the city about their response to homelessness. And so it would just be cool to like, maybe we can do um, like a co-produced one where we bring in somebody from the city who actively works on this stuff and then same with the county and just kind of ask them like these kind of questions or have them react to these kind of comments we're making. Yeah, I have had questions rolling around in my brain about like the inconsistency between what the city says it does when it goes into an encampment and what it actually does because it doesn't seem to match. Like, are, are people notified that it's going to happen? How far in advance uh, are they allowed to, like, keep their keep their belongings and not have them destroyed, which I thought was a, a commitment the city had made? I, it's... it's a frustrating mess in terms of trying to determine what the truth is. And I don't want to accuse anyone of lying, but well, okay. You want to talk about sidewalk shoveling? Yeah. Okay. Thank you for your enthusiasm. I I Uh, like this topic. I think it's very important. So there was a, did you see that Robin Wansley council member, Robin Wansley, uh, proposed an amendment for a $200,000 uh, to implement a sidewalk shoveling pilot, which is, she said, it, staff has done the work on this already, and she's just trying to fund a priority that uh, city staff have identified. Public Works Director uh, made the case they were not prepared uh, to do this, and it would be uh, a cost to other parts of their budget, their massive budget, and I don't, I think, uh, council member Chuck Dice said it was something like 400 and something million a year that they spend. And Wansley wanted to move 200,000. It failed, but it, to move away from the specifics of that budget drama. I do want to go back to the budget drama for a second mm-hmm. because yeah. last year, and I'm, I don't have the story up right now, but we reported on a possible municipal snow shoveling program and Mm -hmm. our streets went and like proposed it. And the way that we reported it, the way we understood it was that it was being, it was being seriously considered because of all this, you know, the work had been done being seriously considered for the budget. Like I remember there was a campaign for people to um, email their council people and push for it. Right. So it was very much out in the open. So when for her to say that, and I don't know the full story, but it just sounds weird to hear. Yeah, they're not prepared for it. It's like these. I don't know. We, but it's and the fact that I had to go like and talk directly with uh, Councilmember Wansley to get figure out like what happened with this municipal snow shoveling thing. Like it just got buried. It was I don't know. It was very strange because it had a lot of attention in it's January. It's been kick, kicked around for many years. It seems like. Mm-hmm. And so if it, if it comes back year after year and is never implemented, 
maybe it's not a high priority. Maybe the real answer is we're not that we're not prepared. It's that this is not a priority and we would like to kick the can and say we we like it, but don't actually. One of the first things that uh, I wrote about on streets.mn, that's how I got my start in being a public intellectual melody, mm. was uh, writing posts for streets.mn. And I was extremely frustrated, angry, very passionate about how terrible the sidewalks are. That's why I as, got so excited when you wanted to talk about sidewalk shoveling, because I have a similar well, passion. One of the first things I wrote, coming from, it's a, it's a contradiction. You live in a place that has warmer weather, I'm going to say it, Florida. And so pe- people like idealize Florida as a place you can be outside all the time. And go places, but like the the infrastructure, the the urban design is not conducive to actually doing that. You you absolutely must drive everywhere. And then a place like Minneapolis, it's a dream mostly to walk around when the weather is nice and there's not ice on the sidewalks. But you get to winter and it's completely destroyed uh, your ability to get around. Even if a lot of people make this as a disabled person versus able-bodied person thing but even if you're like perfectly able-bodied and like robust and super athletic this is a these are obstacles put in your way trying to move around the city trying to walk to your bus stop i have an anecdote to share okay go about this so then you can think um i just went on a walk with my friend julie the other day and like our plan was to get coffee and then go for a walk and we had to walk like single file multiple times like throughout the walk there was rarely times where we could actually walk next to each other where like if you are trying to like connect with people (laughs) and go for a walk it would be nice to like be next to them um yeah people do this thing where they just go down with the shovel and they do like a foot and a half wide path well your feet will fit in this uh this ice rut that we've created for you but your stroller so, won't, and right. your, you know, Wheelchair like, your not. cane, like walking with a cane, that's not going to be fun. It's treacherous out there. And so we have got all these city priorities related to, we're going to drive less, Melody. We're mm-hmm. going to get our vehicle miles traveled down. We're going to build a dense, pedestrianized city, which is a phrase I like to use all the time. I'm supportive of these things, as everyone knows. But your dense pedestrianized city has to be 365 days a year. Otherwise, you're saying only people with vehicles can get around safely in the wintertime. You have to make it so people who buy into your dense pedestrianized vision of the future, which I I know is not our public works director, so in fairness to her, she doesn't believe in the dense pedestrianized city uh, situation based on her actions. Ooh, uh, snap! Yeah, take that, Margaret Anderson Kelher. Like, uh, I don't know, if you're sincere about it, make it a priority that people should be able to walk around 365 days a year. I think, I don't know, we don't have to dwell on this, but I don't know if people in these leadership positions actually get it, like how holistic this pedestrian thing is. And I don't think they will get it until they are a pedestrian or a bicyclist, like full time. Because it's just a different way of getting around. And I feel like with so many things, if people would just experience whatever they think they know about, but don't really, and have some kind of warped view about it, just like experience it and then see what it's like before you start deciding, you know, what's going to be a priority with this stuff and start making decisions on behalf of pedestrians and bicyclists when they have a different thing to say. Melody, here, here's the part in our sidewalk shoveling segment where I hit people with the counterintuitive, <laughs> wait a minute, is municipal sidewalk shoveling the answer? I don't mm. know if it is. I'm kind of skeptical. Oh, and why? Is that okay? Will I get canceled if I say I'm skeptical of uh, municipal no, sidewalk shoveling? I would it's hope a very not. hot topic. <laughs> you must be. the the far left. So 
I could get canceled for what I'm about to say. I don't think so. But uh, do you have like a prepared statement for why you're not into munis? You're not. I have fully some supportive. thoughts. Mm-hmm. I have some thoughts because, as I said, it's something I've been thinking about a ton, mm-hmm. and I care a lot about for many, many years. Ever since I moved here, uh, which I think it's one of those things that only an outsider can get outraged about. My outrage has like diminished over time as I've been here long enough. It's just like a thing you deal with the terrible, terrible sidewalks that that don't get cleared. Uh, but to do it right is very expensive. And we have experience with the park board kind of doing it in a half-assed way because the park board clears their own trails and sidewalks adjacent to parks. Mm-hmm. And I have not been content with the way that they clear Mueller Park, for example. Mm-hmm. Like the sidewalks there are not great. I don't know if you have a park that you frequent where you notice the park board is not living up to their responsibility to clear these sidewalks. And so when I think about, like, the cost, I think figures range from, like, $4.5 million on the cheap end for uh, municipal clearing and, like, $20 million on the top end. I think if you were going to do it, uh, you have to not cheap out on it because a, a half-assed job is still uh, fairly treacherous. And so I think most property owners do a pretty good job. I don't know about this last snowfall. I think a lot of people did a very bad job. Uh, but in general, I think majority, a clear majority of property owners are taking their responsibility seriously. It only takes a few on a block to make it just dangerous for people. And so if we go to a situation where the city is responsible for all the sidewalks and does a half-assed job, I think that's worse we're spending more money for worse outcomes, I think, in that situation. So you can't cheap out. And I know there are ideas that you could do, well, pedestrian priority routes, which would be cheaper than doing the city as a whole. And I'm more open to that being a potential success than doing all of them, because I'm just scared that the city will do a half-assed job of it. And... It's expensive, and what do you do when something's expensive? You try to cut corners to make it less expensive, Mm -hmm. and you end up with half-assed sidewalks that are just about as dangerous as the as a untouched sidewalk. Mm -hmm. My only counter to that counter argument is I've had really good experiences with the bike lanes being plowed. Ever since I moved here, I would notice that the bike lanes were plowed better and before streets. So I don't have that that concern primarily because of that experience that I've had. Um, That's a good point. We should say the city is responsible for clearing their bike routes. And they do a really good job. And it's a different and it's a whole different system. So whoever is doing the bike lane clearing does a great job. They have a specific plow for it and they just, I don't know, they clear it really fast. It's so yeah, that gives me some hope with the sidewalks, especially like a pedestrian um, priority route. I was walking on the new Franklin Avenue, the very sur- short stretch of Franklin that's between Lindale and Hennepin in the wedge. And they've got a new sidewalk, new street, mm-hmm. but also a new sidewalk with a a bike path right next to it. So so they're side by side, sidewalk and bike path. And I think most people who walk on it, even though it's separated by a little rumble strip with bumps on it. So you, you know, you're, there's a barrier here. I think most people walk on it. Just think this is a really wide sidewalk, but the the case is one side is a bike route. One side is a sidewalk city is clearing the bike route. And so it's when I walked through, it was perfectly clear and dry and then there was snow on the other half of it, which is a sidewalk the city doesn't clear. And I thought that was an interesting uh, visual demonstrating that, uh, I don't know, it's possible. It People is. Who, who want this and say it's possible, it is possible we could do this. It's happening on this sidewalk. It's just because it's dedicated to bikes, it happens to get cleared. Yeah. Uh, Those are the same kind of lanes we're going to have on Hennepin, right? Yeah, that seems to be what the city is moving towards. Mm-hmm. I think they're, that's also what they're doing to Bryan Avenue, right? It just reminds me of when I was at the U as a student and I would, um, there was lots of places around the campus that are like that where the bike lanes are right next to the pedestrian thing. And it was kind of a, a disaster, but people like figured it out. You know, once there's so much traffic, like people kind of, 
But if it is like as a pedestrian, it is very hard to know. There's no like alarm system that goes off when you as a walker go in between the lanes, you know, so you really have to. It's just about education and like just awareness of like, oh, on the street, I have to be really careful about where I walk. It's possible. Everything's going to be great. I mean, if you want to ride 20, 25 miles an hour, that's probably not ideal for you. That's a good point. If you're prepared to go a little slower and watch out for people, I think it, it Same. works out okay. Same point. Yep. I don't know. It can be irritating to have people wander into your path, but I don't know. I, I take pity on pedestrians because I am a pedestrian most of the time. So people make mistakes. Nobody's going to get hurt. I will often move into the street. Here's the other thing I was going to say. I often move into a bike lane uh, if it's in the street during the winter because they are cleared. And I feel like if we put, start putting the bike path and the sidewalk right next to each other, one advantage here is I can just scoot over into the bike path and I, I won't be slipping and falling all over the place on the ice. Mm-hmm. It's that bike lobby, man. It's the only reason they get their bike lanes. <laughs> yeah. I, I feel safe enough that when, uh, when I tweet something like that, people know that I am for both bikes and pedestrians and I'm not trying to say, well, look at these bikers getting the uh, extra advantage here. Uh, I'm saying we can do it for everyone. Yes, and that comment was not directed at you. It was directed at people who think, okay. When it's both deadpan, then that's when we run into problems. Are you also deadpan? Yes. Oh, okay. I probably don't do it as much when I'm talking with you because then it's people won't know what's reality. So (laughs) they're like, wait, is she kidding too? I don't get it. Is there a bike lobby? We're bending reality. Yeah. Uh, Do you you have any, like, budget items you want to talk about? I thought the uh, Wansley Amendment moving $1.2 million from the Affordable Housing Trust Fund to uh, fund sprinklers, fire suppression at public housing buildings in Minneapolis was good and important. Okay, here's a question for you. Yeah. Do you think that that was connected to the fire? But also, I should say, I keep forgetting, the Oak Grove place went up in flames um, in September or October. Think, it just wasn't as bad as a fire. I think the real answer is uh, this has just been a topic ever since that uh, high-rise fire in Cedar Riverside. Oh, my uh, gosh. A yes. This has just been an ongoing topic. And so. How Southwest th- of me to think that it was just about Southwest. It's just one of those things that I thought had been fixed already, and mm. apparently if there's a budget amendment needed, it was not fixed. Maybe it was fixed for a specific building and not not uh, a series of buildings. So, for the you know, for the budget thing, you know what I found the most inter... So, yes to all the things that you just brought up. I also realized that they have links to the public comments that people have sent in and a list of speakers that were at the November 15th meeting. I didn't... I forgot to check budget for meeting no- yeah mm. so like on november 15th i can see like oh ward 11 ward 11 from weave uh rainbow health minnesota like all the people that spoke and like where they're located is is that in the legislative information management system it is it wow. was at the bottom of the budget um meeting that we had uh on tuesday night yeah mm way at the bottom and then there's comments uh oh here's one that's very relevant uh minneapolis made a terrible decision to slash funding to neighborhood organizations which are more vital than ever in building real community i hope to increase funding can be restored and that the city will allow a 100 percent rollover of equitable engagement funds so th- these are the comments that people emailed in oh you're looking at emails yeah but they're like linked to very easily yeah. In limbs. Uh, Melody, this is not breaking news that you can access a whole packet of emails that people wrote into the city. Okay, I would like the listeners to please raise their hand who knew that. Nobody knows this except you and Josh Martin and Taylor. So well, I'm, I'm explaining it to the masses and showing... I feel like you can only trust myself, Josh Martin, and probably not Taylor. You can't trust Taylor to use these comments and emails responsibly. Oh, okay. 
<laughs> I, don't think, I don't think access should be given to the general public, only responsible intermediaries. I'm basically uh, Matt Taibbi uh, serving as intermediary for the Hunter Biden files. Is that how it works? Great. <laughs> wow. No, and there was sadly only two emails there. So way more. Wow. 51 people spoke at the November 15th meeting. Nice work, hmm. everybody. And that you can learn from what is known as limbs. You just click around on all the links underneath agendas and like all this really amazing stuff. Yeah, shows it's, up. it's probably something that takes you years to get comfortable with. Like where, which of these many, 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 many links should I be clicking to find the good stuff? But uh, old, old pros like Melody and I, we know where it is. Mm, I was just going to say that... Uh, I was just going to tell listeners that you actually talked me through that. Remember when we met at Third Space and you walked me through it? So you're definitely mm -hmm. more of a pro than I am. John had yeah. to actually like, I asked him to be like, can you explain the city council, like all of these agenda things? And now I totally get it. But at first it's so confusing. And then you're mm -hmm. like, I'm an extremely smart person. How is this so difficult for me to figure out that I have to go to John, yeah. you know? I taught you everything I know. You, thank you for that. It took ten minutes. <laughs> it only took ten minutes to impart all of my knowledge on you, and now you're wielding it against me. You broke your wedge live mug. I dropped it. I had it up on like a. It was such a melody moment. I had it up on a hook, like a coffee hook thing, but it was off balance because it's such a heavy mug, mm. and it took the whole thing down. And I shouldn't have never put it on that coffee tree. Mm. We should display your mugs on a shelf behind you on that a hook that would require me to install a shelf yeah and i'm a woman i don't know how to do that you want to talk about crime i know we're like 50 minutes or something into this but you you want to like open this can of worms so we've got uh, operation endeavor you've heard of that it's the the thing the multi-jurisdictional task force thing with all the, the state and the feds and the u.s attorney and mpd and the cars and empty, empty police yeah. cars and every month for october we got uh, some post-october results we recently got the november results and the, just bragging about how well it's all working and i am skeptical that that uh any of this is attributable to the empty police cars well what else do they do besides the empty police cars did they explain it in the press conference I watch, I get most of my information from TV news, Melody, so I don't know. All I know is line line graph go down, mm -hmm. and uh, we're all saved. Well, there's been a general trend in the crime rate going down, so it's really hard with variable stuff. Like, I talk about, I used to talk about this with my students all the time with media effects. It's like, okay, it's that argument about violent video games, right? Okay, well, if I spend more time playing violent video games, I'm going to become a violent person. And it's like, no. Um, and and there's so many more variables as to why a violent person is one that plays violent video games. Do you see what, am I making mm -hmm. sense here? Yeah. So like, it's the same thing with the variables around crime. Crime goes up and down. There's so many variables to why crime goes up and down. And I know this and I barely know anything about crime. All the the COVID, like pandemic, that drastically changed our our um, our violence stats, and like why yeah. that is, we're still, you know what I mean. So like courts, you can't just courts, say the courts just stopped functioning. Yeah. For a while. So you can't just say this one after all of this, after we've gone through all of this, and I would say this for anything. It doesn't matter if it's the community um, mental health response, to, right? Like anything. There's too many variables to pinpoint on one. Right. And October and November of last year, and this is going to sound conspiratorial, and I, I don't have any good answers for why this is, shockingly high numbers. It's like where the graph peaks is October and November of 2021. High, uh, our city election year, people are going to vote on this very hotly contested charter amendment about whether a staffing minimum should be in our city charter or whether... Our elected leaders should have some discretion in setting our public safety budget. And so, like, the the absolute top of the violent crime chart peaks 
for robberies at least, and carjackings, October and November of 2021. So when we're comparing October and November of 2022 to then, like, it's fair. You're setting a very low bar for yourself when that's your peak. And also, I have no idea why it happened to peak back then. My my guess is police uh, just decided we're not doing our jobs during these months until these people start being nice to us. <laughs> that's, my, that's my hypothesis for that. Well, again, not being able to pinpoint anything on one variable, I would want to see... I don't know if anybody did this, get violent crime data from other cities and see if there was also a, a peak in October and November, because that would be a really easy. I mean, but you would see this is why data is hard, because then you would have to go back and make sure that the crime data was in sync a little bit. Um, it's true. But I think the nation saw a really huge increase in crime during the pandemic, early era of the pandemic. So I think that might be enough of an equalizer, like cities that saw that you should look at then man i should just be in data journalism i don't know what i'm doing this is fun yeah another thing that occurs to me is that i think a a very large number of violent crimes are being committed by a small number of people Mm -hmm. and so i don't know if it's just like a handful of groups doing many 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 crimes then you could see variation between different jurisdictions Mm. I don't know. I'm yeah. speaking out of my ass here. When do we you can not? move on? We can move on to the festive. So since this is December and we're into the holidays, Melody, I told you to bring some. Maybe maybe we do a Melody gift guide monthly with Melody gift guide here, where you recommend things, uh, nice things that people can do or gift to other people. Well, I wish I had some holiday music to insert here. I'll do it in post-production. I'll insert some holiday, cheery holiday music to what, introduce this segment. What song is it going to be? I don't know. What Do you have a request? I don't, actually. Okay. Well, I'll insert whatever I feel like. Fine. Do that. And then you act as though you're just coming out of music, a musical intro. My turn. Okay, hi. Welcome back. Uh, um, a local gift guide. So Southwest Voices actually has a local gift guide. Did you know that, John? Did you just set me no. up for that? <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't. I don't read southwestvoices.news. <laughs> that is so good that you were like, "Give me a gift guide," and we literally have one. I read. I read precious little uh, from other news outlets. I feel like that would be cheating. All, all the news I give to people, uh, I've acquired myself. That is very true. That is very true. And then I take it sometimes, but I give you credit when I do. Um, so we have a gift guide that is the cool thing about it is that it's uh, separated by category. So if you want, like, if you're shopping for a music lover, or you're shopping for books. Or what is my favorite? Um, you're shopping. That's this is not my favorite one. If you're shopping for a furry friend, if you're shopping for something eco-friendly, uh, if you're shopping for jewelry, should I keep going? Oh, if you just want to have fun, that's my favorite category because it's a balloon shop, and then two places that sell CBD and THC. Okay. I, w- I was hoping for recommendations from you, the person, Melody, okay. the person, not was... Melody, the news gatherer. Well, okay. I just wanted to, st- I I have to promote it though. Oh, that's fine. Because... Southwestvoices.news, where you can see the gift guide Melody was just talking about. Thank you. Um, so then I would say, I would, wow, gift guide. Now I'm really, I thought I could just rely on my own on my previous work that I've done. Actually, Charlie did all that work, but, uh, wow. So let's, let's do it like this. What, what are some products, services, or experiences you have been personally enjoying recently that you would, uh, recommend to others? Uh, you know what? I'm a big fan of gift cards because then it feels like really? a little, you're going to recommend gift cards. Shh. Sorry to mean to shush you, but like, 
to put a mix of like a spin on that though, it's like I could go get a gift card for at like a local restaurant like Vos, and then I would give it to the person to be like, we're going to go get dinner. So it'd be like, it's kind of like an experience thing too. Cause I like the experience stuff more than like going and shopping and getting somebody a shirt. So the yeah. gift card is part of the experience. So in your face, outer space on that one. Um, but, and also I think, you know, the, another reason is because it really helps support the local businesses. So like, sure. I could say if you want to get somebody a guitar, go to twin town or like, I don't know, coffee gift card. I just always go back to gift cards. If you want to support local businesses, I'm not really into things right now. I just want experiences, John. What do you do for fun? Oh, I mean, I do arts and crafts a lot but we don't have a great arts and crafts place here sorry to whoever i just forgot about isn't there a place on lindale that sells art supplies yeah but i always feel like this is probably bad of me to say they don't seem very like active i'm never sure like how open they are it's a weird storefront yeah that's that's for sure yeah i never know when they're open either or what they sell because it's hard to see in the windows yeah it's almost elevated i don't know i only have vague notions of what the storefront looks like. Fun fact, huge improv theater is moving into that building next really? year. Yeah. They're like they're taking over part of the space. Because I think it looks like the art gallery just downsized. The art gallery? On mm. the Greenway? No, sorry, whatever that art store place is called. Mm. Okay. Anyways. I feel like your recommendations have been a total letdown. I thought you were a more interesting person than this. And you would have good ones. Okay, you it's should just go. Gift cards, and I do arts and crafts. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of really great thrift stores in Southwest, that, and that's where I would go to get a gift because I think you can always find something really unique. There's Tandem Vintage on 38th Street, for example, mm-hmm. and then there's another one up on Nicolette, and then I stop. Oh, B Resale. I don't know. Those are fun places to just go poke around and find something unique. Are you enjoying any TV shows, movies, video games, or books? Oh, thank you for asking. Um, I'm watching Stranger Things with my neighbor friend uh, every Wednesday. Now, is neighbor a euphemism for a, uh, I don't know. A lover? Yeah. No. <laughs> okay. No. I Maybe it was because I said neighbor friend. That might be one. Yeah. Sure. But that's not what it is. Sorry. She's my neighbor and my friend. Like, she okay. moved in. We're friends because you know, from her moving in. I feel like if I was your neighbor friend and you referred to me as your neighbor and not your friend, I would <laughs> take that personally. She's going to just... Like, feel- she thinks she's your friend and you think of her as your neighbor. Yep. She's going to really appreciate what you just said because we've already talked about this. Yeah. Hmm. Anyways, my friend. I just think it's cool that my neighbor is my friend and I want to brag about that because not everybody even no Some people don't even talk to their neighbors. Yeah, it's true. We live in an era where uh, you live in a building with uh, three dozen other people and you don't know any of them. Yeah. So it's really a brag is the thing. Like, aren't you jealous that you're not you don't have a friend like just next door? Yeah. So that's why I, I say it. There's the whole don't shit where you eat the old saying. Yeah. They, you get to know your neighbor things could go bad and then they live next door sure yeah it's a risk i'm willing to take okay anything else uh you asked me about all those other things i'm watch i'm reading a, a book called the orphan train i lost i can't find it mm. but i'm reading it i was reading it it's really good it's about the legit orphan trains that we had in our country okay and uh, I'm not playing video games, but I watch my nephew play Mario Odyssey. Okay. How old is that game? New. Is that a new game? It feels like, like I've heard of that game for many years. Sure. Well, I'm... How I, do you watch? How do you watch that? Is it a stream situation? Is no, it what you do is you sit next to him and then you oh. look at his screen. You have a nephew. You're in possession of your nephew? Well, for this example, not right now, but yes. Like, I would be hanging out with him. I will watch him. Have you never watched nice. somebody play video games in person? 
I have mostly. Okay. I'm the one. Mostly, I'm the one playing the video. Oh games, yeah, no, I watch, and it's fun and for it, me because it reminds me of all the old Super Mario Brothers games. I have no idea what he's doing because it's like a four dimensional world. So, so I'm, I'm nice that you have family in town that you mm-hmm. can be with in person. Yeah, thanks. I'm gonna. I have to make sure I spell your name right in the little under two Fs, two under ends. the video things. Two Fs, two Ns, two Fs, two Ns. Be cognizant of that. It's been the Wedge Life Podcast. I'm your host, John Edwards. My guest has been Melody Hoffman. Thank you for listening. This is a real, real, real thing. Real, 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 real thing. None of you have the balls to stop. Stop this. We're in the wedge neighborhood right now, 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 right now.